uh, some attributes of a fool. Uh, a fool that says there is no God, a fool who uh, lives their life like there's no God. And David's actually going to discuss in Psalms 54 um, some individuals who actually act like that and have those attributes. But that's one reason I skipped Psalms 53. So if you want to study Psalms 53, just go back and look at any notes you may have on Psalms 14 or go back and watch the live stream of Psalms 14. It's going to be basically the same thing. Um, so we are going to go into Psalms 54 tonight. Now Psalms 54, it has an inscription that the psalm is titled to the chief musician with stringed instruments, contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? So what you have kind of in this backstory of, of this, um, there's actually two times when the Ziphites betrayed Saul. Uh, 1 Samuel 23 and 1 Samuel 26. But it seems like, as you read this, it's talking about the event in 1 Samuel 23. Um, again, there was actually two times that, that they did portray him, uh, betray him during this, but our story kind of picks up right after what we discussed in Psalms 52 about uh, uh, Doeg and killing uh, um, the 85 priest that took place, and his son went, was the one that escaped after all that, and went and, and told David about this. What we're actually doing is kind of picking up on that story right after that. Right after that, David uh, goes down to, uh, uh, is, it, is it Kila? K-E-I-L-A-H, I believe what it is, Kila? Uh, he goes down there because he hears the Philistines are coming, or uh, there, attacking it and, and trying to destroy the threshing floor, and it's during harvest time. That's how they... They, they're going to live, that's their livelihood, and the Philistines are there uh, destroying that and, and, and stealing from that and doing different things. So David goes down there, and, and he's, he's winning the battle there against, uh, you know, he took his mighty men down there, and they're, they're winning this against and defeating the Philistines and driving them out. And now during this time, you have uh, uh, David gets word that, that Saul is going to come down uh, to find him, and he, he's, he's chasing after him, wanting to kill him. So David uh, petitions God and asks God, is Saul going to come down here and do this? And, and God tells him, yes, Saul's going to come down there. He says, are these men going to give me up to Saul? Are they going to uh, 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 you know, turn me over to him? And, and God tells him, yeah, they're going to. So David, uh, well, he inquires from uh, Amalek's son, one of the priests that comes and brings the ephod to him and warns him about this. David's got the ephod and he's inquired into God and God tells him this. So David takes his men and they go into the wilderness or into the forest of Ziph. Now, while they're there hiding out, that's when the Ziphites actually go and betray David to Saul. They say, isn't David hiding with us? So Saul decides to go down and... Uh, chase after David, if you will. So David does, and David leaves a stronghold, and there's this chase that goes on. You find Saul on one, uh, and his men on one side of the mountain, David and his men on one side of the mountain, and they're kind of chasing, and he's running from him. And, and what I think is interesting, during all this time that Saul can't find David, you've got Jonathan who just gets up and goes to David, <laughs> you know, and, and talks to David and says, listen, you, you, don't worry, you're going to be king. I'm going to be right there beside you, and even my... Father knows that, knows that you're going to be king. 
So he's encouraging David during this process of, you know, God's going to take care of you. God's not going to let anything happen to you. I'm going to be there with you. And even my father, Saul, knows that. That's why he's so angry. He knows that's going to happen. So during all of this process, I think it's just kind of interesting in the middle of that, it says Jonathan goes to David. You know, Saul can't find him, but Jonathan can. So they go through all of this, and he's chasing him. And I think what we see here with this psalm is it's, it's where David is praying uh, in the forest there while he's running from Saul for God's help during this. And we're going to see that God actually answers that prayer because... Uh, we see that word comes to Saul that the Philistines are invading the land, so Saul stops his pursuit and goes somewhere else. So you actually see this all kind of transpiring here. Now we got the, the benefit of seeing the whole picture here of this. You know, we got to really imagine and be thinking about what David is going through when he's in the middle of this. You know, he just got told not too long ago uh, uh, from... Uh, uh, Amalek's son, one of, the priests that, one of the 85 priests that got killed, about them getting killed. So David is, is kind of still reaming from the repercussions of that uh, going on. He's, got, he's out here fighting the Philistines. And then he, the ones that he's fighting for, uh, God tells him they're going to turn you over to Saul. So he has to flee. So David has a lot of things going on, a lot of emotions flowing, a lot of things happening in his life. And here's where we're seeing him petitioning God and going to God with these struggles that he has. And uh, I thought about going on to Psalms 55, but the more I read Psalms 54 and thought about the story that we just completed last week, um, I think it falls into place and I think it can help us too when we go through trials and we face things in our lives. Um, how did David handle that? And maybe we can get some, uh, some encouragement from that. So let's, let's look at a few things here. Uh, as we go through this. But that, I just want to kind of set the scene that, that it's widely believed, and I, I, I kind of agree with it, that, that this is during that time of 1 Samuel. And you go read the story uh, uh, in 1 Samuel 23. The events we talked about last week were in 1 Samuel 22, but you can go read the events in uh, 1 Samuel 23 through 26, actually, uh, of what took place. But, but it seems like this Psalms. 50, uh, 54 is falling right in the middle of David on the run, David hiding there in the, the mountains of Ziph, and him uh, praying to God evidently during that time. And then you could go and read Samuel where God actually answers that prayer and Saul stops that pursuit and goes back. Uh, let's look at verses 1 and 2 though. He says, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Now, th there's a couple of things here. David, one, is trusting in God that it's God that's going to do the saving. God's, he's not, now as, as powerful as David is, and these men that are with him, he's got this army with him. Now remember, he's just coming off of this, uh, uh, of running the Philistines out of Kael. Uh, he just come from that, and now he's on the run with his men, but he's trusting in God to save him from Saul. Now what's going to be interesting, and we may get into this talk a little later, there's actually going to be two instances where David could have killed Saul. Um, and he didn't do it. He, he's trusting in God. Both times he says, how can I kill God's anointed? 
he's either going to die from something, God's going to take him out. It's going to be God that does it. David said, it's not going to be me that does it. So you can see within this psalm, you can see David wanting vindication, David wanting his enemies stopped, David wanting his enemies destroyed. But David is not going to do it himself. He's not going to be the one that's going to take Saul out. So it's not that David's looking for revenge against Saul. It's not that he thinks, I've got to kill Saul or necessarily he's going to kill me. He's leaving it in God's hands, but the enemy is getting encamped pretty close around him. Uh, if you see the second time, and you can actually see God's work in this, because you can see, I think it's over in, uh, it slips me now, it's either chapter 24 through 26, right in there, where Saul actually, or David actually takes someone with, with him, someone with him the second time that he could have killed Saul. He goes into the encampment, the spear's there, and everything's there with Saul. He has an opportunity to kill him. But the Bible says that, that Saul was in a deep sleep. And, and you heard that read, you know, when, we, when have we heard of a deep sleep before? When's the first time we heard that? Adam. <laughs> when God had a deep sleep come upon Adam when he created Eve. So here it gives an indication that, that God is there with David because he's got Saul in a deep sleep. Um, and it seems like that's what it's referring to. So David has an opportunity to kill Saul, but God's with, with, you know, with David there, but David, once again, doesn't take that opportunity. But he does take the spear. He does do enough to let Saul know I was there. <laughs> Remember when he cut off a part of his garment in the cave, he let him know that he was there. And then now you've got him where he takes his spear there and, and, and things. He, 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 he wants Saul to know, uh, to me it's kind of interesting, I think he wants Saul to know, hey, I can pretty well kill you at any time. You know, you, you can't find me, but I've come up on you twice. But it's not my place to kill you, but I think he's letting Saul know I could have. You know, and I think it shows a couple things. I don't think it's showing David necessarily bragging about it, but I think it is showing David's compassion and trust in the God, and even, to a certain extent, respect for Saul. As wicked as Saul is, God is the one that placed him there, and it needs to be God the one that can take him out. It's just like what God has joined together, no man has a right to separate. Anything that God does, we don't have the right to change that. If God wants it changed, God's going to change it. And David already knows that God anointed him, but he knows that God is the one that put Saul there, so it's going to be God that brings David up, not David himself. So, and once again, God's working behind the scenes. While David is working through all this, it seems pretty miserable for David, but God is waiting like he always does. He's long-suffering for that, that cup of wrath to be full and then that's when Saul is going to be taken out. So all of this is working on God's timetable. God's using these things for him. But in the process, there's some miserable things and some horrible things that are going on to people. And, and we may look at it and say, well, that's God's fault. God could have changed this. God could have took Saul out way before this. God could have done all of these things. But there's, there's a, a, a lot that... God uses that's going on. There's a difference in God making something happen and God knowing God's foreknowledge of what's going to happen and God using these things to bring about His good. Uh, a good example of that was Sunday night. <laughs> uh, how, how interesting was that lesson uh, Titus gave? 
You know, you think about this is just thrown right in here, but you start putting these pieces together and you think, why did God let this happen? And why did it happen this way? Everything is leading to what? To our salvation through Christ. God is using it before He ever created us. God provided a plan to redeem us. Now you look at everything that has to go on for that to take place, some of that doesn't look pretty to us. Some of that doesn't look reasonable to us. Some of that doesn't look fair to us. Is that God making it that way? Or God using the things that He knows are going to happen to bring about this good and for the benefit of these individuals? So again, a lot of times we don't have the, the benefit of seeing the whole picture. We see snapshots like we do here. We can see more than what David is seeing at this time. We see more than what Saul is seeing. But we still don't see the whole picture of what God has. So there, there's things as we see these stories unfold that it may be hard for us to grasp. But we, ha we have the benefit of seeing them unfold to that ultimate good of God bringing His Son. So we always got to keep that in the forefront of our mind. And David is part of this process. Even some of the bad things David has done, and also the bad things that are happening to David, it's not God causing them. It's, it's, some of it's David's brought on himself, God using those things still to create the things in which he's going to uh, bring about. Does that make sense or just clear as mud? It, it, it's very complex in some things, and we just have to take it really for what it is. Well, you look at the last, uh, basically last verse of this psalm, you can, you can picture Jesus actually saying what David's saying here. So, uh, yeah, you, you can see how this all just kind of, kind of comes together. But notice what David is here. He's, he's trusting in God. Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your strength. So David here is, is trusting not only in God, but he's trusting in God's name. God's name... It may not be important to a lot of people today, and they use it just willy-nilly and don't think anything about it, but there's something in his name, isn't there? It, it, it's about who he is. Remember when Moses said, who do I tell them you are? What did he say? I am sent you. I am. That's, there, there's nothing greater than the name of Jehovah. There, there's nothing beyond that. There's nothing greater than that. When, when Moses should have, when Moses told them that this is who sent me, there's no one greater that could have sent him. There's no one higher. There's no one of more authority. So David here is saying, by your name, I want you to save me and vindicate me by your strength. So he's counting in God. It's not David that's going to bring vengeance. But I tell you, I get, I get pretty, I don't know if excited is the right word. I love the language that David uses, though, when it comes especially to vindication. Uh, David uses that a num numerous times within the Psalms, but notice how he says that vindication is going to come. That vindication is going to come through the strength of God. It's not going to come through the strength of David. David said, I don't want revenge because David could have got it twice with Saul and probably more times than that. David could have killed Saul and went and stood to the people and said, look what I've done. I've got his spear right here. I killed him in his sleep. Or I killed him when he was in a cave. 
Look what I've done. Look at, look at me, how great I am. Look at, he chased me all this way. He didn't have the strength to kill me. I did. But David didn't do that. David trusts in God's strength for his vindication because what David knows and what we should know for our vindication to be true, it's God proving himself. So if God proves himself, it comes back to us as living as children of God, of serving him, of vindication that what we've done is right and worth it, no matter what somebody does to us. That's our vindication. It's not revenge. It's not vengeance on someone. It's not being mad and beating them down to show how strong we are. It's always to show how strong God is. It's not about us. And that's what David here, I think, is doing in the very beginning. When he's crying out to God, you think about his situation, those, and he's going to say here later that it's strangers, but are they really strangers? They're strangers to him in the essence that they've turned their back on him. But they're here of the tribe of Judah, aren't they? Because when they go and talk to Saul about David's there, they said, well, we'll go back and go through all the clans of Judah because that's where they were. So they're, they're here with, with David in, that, in the essence in Judah with him. So it's not like they're strangers, but David calls them strangers that have betrayed him because you know, they're, they're strangers to him and how, what their character is and how they act toward him. But, but here at the very beginning, he, he's trusting in God. One, the name of God, how important that is. That name says it all. Then it's the strength of God that's going to vindicate David. It's the strength of God that's going to bring about his, his salvation, just like it's the strength of God that brings about us. Think about this. It's the strength of God that saves us. It took strength for Jesus to go to the cross, not weakness. That just proved how strong he was, not how weak he was. He, he went voluntarily. He went basically without a word. Saw, uh, uh, Isaiah 53, like a sheep to the slaughter, he said not a word. In other words, he didn't do anything to stop it from happening. That showed his strength. You want to truly show your strength, show how much self-control you have. And I think David actually shows his strength here because he had self-control when it comes to Saul. But David knows it's God's strength that's going to save him. Then he says, Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. He's not taking for granted that God's going to do anything just because David says so. He's pleading with God. He, he's petitioning God, Hear my prayer. Hear, hear the words that's coming out of my mouth. Hear, hear the things that I'm saying. He's, he, he, he can come boldly before God. He trusts God, but he also has enough... Uh, um, allness toward God to know I still need to ask God. <laughs> I don't need to demand anything from Him. I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Hear me. Hear, hear my words. Hear, hear the things that's coming out of my mouth. I'm trusting in you uh, uh, to do this. Um, and I think, again, that says a lot about David and, and who he is. Uh, look at verse 3. He says, For strangers have risen up against me. Again, I don't believe that he means strangers that David didn't know who they were because they, they evidently were in association with David because they knew David was there. So they had to be in contact with him. And they're at Judah because uh, Saul made reference he's going to go to every clan in Judah and try to find him there. So I think he means strangers in the effect of, um, just like Jesus telling them in Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you. It's not that he didn't have knowledge of them. It's that they were... Two separate. They were doing something different 
that his will, and I think this is kind of the, the thought process, it seems to me, of what David is talking about here. He says, For strangers have risen up against me, oppressors have sought after my life. They have not set God before them. Now this can go back to Psalms 53, where the fool has said there is no God, just like Psalms 14 says. This, this is that individual. No, he says, they have not set God before them. Their actions, here's where David is, it shows his, I believe, his intelligence and his faithfulness. David knows the reason these oppressors, the reason his enemies are like they are, is not just because they woke up one day and said, well, I hate David. It's not that Saul just says, I hate David. And yeah, he is jealous of David. But God had rejected Saul because Saul rejected him, right? Saul didn't do what he said. So these enemies that's after David, it's not necessarily about David. It's because they've not set God before them. And this is just the natural process of their thinking along the way. When you don't have God set before you, you're going to be blinded by jealousy. You're going to be blinded by envy. You're going to be blinded by rage. And you're not going to make any kind of rational decision. Matter of fact, what's it going to cause you to do? What we just studied about. Turn around and kill 85 innocent priests. That, that's what not setting God before you is going to do. That, that's where Saul's at. That's where David's enemies are at. And that's what David is recognizing here. So when we feel like we have enemies in the world... When we feel like we're going through these trials and, and things that people doing things from, maybe that's what we have to realize. What got them to this place? They didn't set God before them. God is not priority in their life. So when God's not priority in your life, you're not thinking spiritually, you're thinking carnally. You're not walking in the spirit, you're walking in the flesh. Remember what the flesh is? All the things Galatians 5 talks about the works of the flesh, that's the natural process of where it's at. And I think that's what David... Uh, here is making reference to. Any thoughts thus far? Let's look at verse 4. He says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil. So God says, Not only is God my helper, the Lord's with those who uphold my life. Now there's some discussion on the exact translation of of what's being said here. Some translations talk about how God is among David's helpers. In other words, some don't like the translation because they say it just makes God like somebody else that's helping David. But if you go back to the original, it's how it's worded. It's God is upholding, God is with not only David, but God's with those that's helping David. In other words, he's holding them up too. Remember, that's what God told Israel, wouldn't it? You know, not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to be with those. I'm going to bless those who bless you. You know, I'm, I'm going to be with those who are helping you because if they're helping you, they're helping me. If they're helping you for your cause, if your cause is my cause, then if they're helping you, they're helping me, so I'm going to bless them and be with them. And that's what David is saying. God's my helper. David recognizes first and foremost, if it wasn't for God, he couldn't do anything. God is the one that placed him where he is, even though he's in a bad situation, he knows God is the one that's protecting him. And I, I kind of believe God sent Jonathan. You know, Jonathan went there and gave him some, some pretty strong, encouraging words, didn't he? You know, God's, God's with you. God's not going to let anything happen to you. You can go back to 1 Samuel and read that. You know, he, now God's not going to let anybody, anything happen to you. I'm going to be there with you when this happens. And even my father knows it. So that's why he's so angry, because he knows it's true. 
So he's telling David, there's no doubt God's with you. So God is helping David at every turn, even though it may seem like David may be hiding in a cave, hiding in the forest, running for his life, starving at times, him and his men. Even though David seems in these hard-pressed situations, he can still see the blessings of God in those situations. And that's hard to do, isn't it? I was talking to someone uh, today, and, and I've been thinking about it all the way home from work because it, it, it really had an impression on what, what they said. Um, they were talking, they've, they've gone through a pretty, pretty horrible experience, and they were talking to their preacher about it, and their preacher actually was going through a, a pretty hard situation of, of losing someone and was talking to them about it. And uh, this person had went through it about, I don't know, four or five months ago, and now their preacher was going through this, and the preacher was talking to him, and the guy said, you know what I told my preacher? Won't you just use some of that stuff you tell us from the pulpit? You think it's so easy, you use it now. And boy, I thought about that, you know. I, I thought about what he said, and he said, I wasn't trying to be rude about it, but he said, I wanted him to know, yeah, it's easy to stand up there and say it, but when you have to face it, it becomes a whole different story. And, uh, and I thought about that. I thought about, okay, <laughs> what kind of encouraging words have I said? What have I said? When you go through this, just do this. Well, it, it, it's easy to say it even when you read it from the Bible. It's easy to read, this is what you should do in those moments. This is how you should think in those moments. This is what your emotions should be in those moments. It's still, when you're faced with that, that's when you have to be really sober and vigilant and make sure the devil don't creep in and start trying to get you to feel all these other things and you still try to stay focused on getting through what you're going through at that moment. And, and it's, it's not easy. You know, we need to think about, okay, David's writing this and it's easy to stand up here and say, look how David trusted God. Look, but look how he trusted God in the situation he was in. And David didn't always make the right decisions in those things, you know. Uh, you go back to the priest. What did he lie to the priest? Well, yeah, he did. You know, he 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 did for you know. We can get into a whole thing. Was it a justifiable lie? Was it you know? David recognized the lie, and David David. You look at Psalm fifty one. David said, "My sins always before me." Was he just talking about one, or talking about his life in general? That he knows that transgression against God is against God only. So so David realizes that. But we've got to realize when you're put in those situations to really have that focus on to know, okay, it's, it's God that's going to get me through this, even when getting through this may not look like what I think it should look like. I don't think when you go back to when, you know, uh, uh, the prophet said, oh, he went through all Jesse's son and got to David, that David thought from that point on he's going to be hiding in a cave or hiding in the forest. I, I don't think he thought that's how it was going to be right at that moment. So it may not look like what we think it should, but you start looking at, uh, I don't know if I read a sermon one time or an article. It was called What, uh, what a uh, Blessed and Growing Church Looks Like. And you look at, in the first century, what that looked like, it looked like a persecuted church. It looked like a divided church. It looked like all of these problems that went on in church, but look how it grew. It was scattered, and look how Christianity grew all during the... That's what opportunity looked like. That's what blessings looked like. It, it, it was in the midst of all these hardships that truly made things grow. Um, you know, you think back, uh, 
you know, during war times? Were congregations fuller, you know, during that time and right after that time? You know, I heard stories of congregations being so full, people standing outside and they couldn't get in, revivals went on for weeks and stuff. Why? Because you were either going through or just came through a tragedy. That, that's when you, you truly see God sometimes. You know, that's when you, you look at Job. Job said, well, I couldn't see God, but I know He was there, and I'm going to trust Him. Because it don't look like God in this moment, but I know He's there. And that's, I think that's what David's saying. It don't look like it. My, my pressure's all around, but this is what I know God can do. He will repay my enemies for their evil. I mean, David knows what the end's going to be. They, they may prosper on this earth. They may seem like they're going to achieve everything they want to achieve. But God will repay. God's long-suffering is long. But there comes a time when that cup of wrath is full and God will repay those enemies. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, Cut them off in your truth. I will free, freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. Now, notice some things that David has said here. David has said, you know, he's counting on God's name. He's counting on God's strength. He's counting on this for vindication. God will vindicate him with his enemies. God will repay his enemies. He wants God to cut them off on your truth or in your truth. So he's wanting his enemies stopped. He's wanting his enemies destroyed. Now look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Is David living by that? When he tells God to vindicate, you're going to vindicate me, cut them off in your truth, repay these evil people? Does that sound like David's doing Matthew 5? Yeah. You know, if you look at what David is saying, I, I used to, for a while, I had trouble reconciling this. I was like, go get them, David. Go, you know, pray for that. Go, go get them. You know, yeah, I'm praying for my enemies. Pray they lay down on the railroad track and a train run over them. You know, it, it almost seemed like that's how David is praying. And you can't reconcile that with Matthew 5 of, of praying for your enemies, those who spitefully, you, 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 can't, you can't reconcile that. But if you truly look, and it's exactly what Mike says, if you truly look at how David is praying and how David's approaching God, it's never about, this is what I'm going to do, God, but I know that you're going to be victorious over my enemies. Because what David is saying, my enemies are your enemies because I'm for you. And he knows that God's going to be victorious over that. So what he's saying is, he knows God has the power to stop the evildoers. So, in that, in, in essence, harmonizes with that, doesn't it? Well, you know, like, uh, before we were king of Midian, thank goodness he was patient with us and waited for us to get ourselves right. And uh, that's uh, kind of the way I look uh, at a lot of people. Uh, they say, hey, I'm ready to go right now. Well, I've got these people that are real Yeah, you, you don't know, you know, I, you know I, I think back myself. What had to transpire to get me to think about obeying? 
you know, what had to transpire for this person to? What is it that sometimes we go through our life, what is it that we go through that causes us to, uh, to obey God? And sometimes it's not pleasant things, but that's the very thing that we need. So we don't know, you know, we, we think about bad that's in the world. We think about the trials that we go through. We think about, you know, uh, well, I'm faithful. I'm ready for the Lord to come back today. Well, somebody else may not be. And God's long-suffering is, is for them, waiting on them, you know, knowing that, okay, here's this opportunity for them. They're not, their heart's not yet hardened to the point where they want. There's more opportunity, and he's telling us, seize that opportunity while you can. Because we don't know what it takes for a person to get to the point to obey God. I mean, who knows? Perhaps I mean, there's no way to really pinpoint the providence of God, but, but you know, I think back, the, the person that were a, was able to reach me, you know, that was able to speak frankly to me, to reach me in a way that I would listen. You know, you think back, I was trying to think back one time when, when that person obeyed the gospel, you know, did they ever think that over time, they were the very ones that was going to reach me. And it may have been 20 years down the road. But because they obeyed, 20 years later they stayed faithful, they were in the right opportunity at the right time to, con to convince me. Well, what about me? When I, when I obey, what opportunity is it for me when I obey? What's that one person that I might be able to say something to, that I might be able to reach? See, we, we don't know when it comes to the things that we go through that gets us to the place that we're at. I, you know, I've had some things in my life that, that happened, one, by my own doing, or two, by some other doings, that I thought, one, that wasn't smart of me to do, I shouldn't have done that, or how did I get myself in that situation, or why did I let that person get me in that situation. But there were some years down the road where I was able to talk to this person and I was able to relate because the same thing had happened to me, or I've been involved in the same thing. And I'm not saying that was an excuse to do that, or I was glad that that happened to me, but you never know what's going to give you that opportunity. David didn't know what was going to bring him to the point that he was at. All he knew was it wasn't his place to decide when it was going to happen. It wasn't his place to rush it along. Um, and sometimes we have to do what the Bible says is be still and listen to God. <laughs> sometimes we need to be still and, and just think about it. Maybe the right thing to do is not to do nothing. Uh, uh, just stand there and listen. And there's, there's times here that, again, David had that opportunity but didn't, uh, didn't do it. But you see him, uh, where I can see it reconciles with this. And, and we can go back to the differences of some things with Old Testament and New Testament too and their relationship with God, but I don't see where David is saying, I'm going to do this to my enemy, but he realizes it's going to be done, and he takes some satisfaction in that, and I, I think we can too, to know the victory is going to be won by God, and we're going to be vindicated because we're serving God, and that's what he's doing here. Uh, let's look at verse 7, I think we've got time. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely he has. But listen to this part. For he has delivered me out of all trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. He has delivered me uh, out of all trouble. David is not giving himself, and David was a, was a wise person. I think David was a, a fierce warrior. He, he, wasn't, he didn't shy away from a battle. He didn't shy away from a conflict when he knew that he's fighting for God. So it wasn't that, God, that David ever wimped out on anything, but David didn't give himself credit. That it, David didn't say, it's, it's because of me I'm still alive. It's because of me that I'm able to withstand Saul. It's because of me that I went down there and, and, and fought with the Philistines. and we were able to It wasn't because of him. Notice he says, uh, For he has delivered me out of trouble, and my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. So once again we see David putting his trust uh, in God. But you think of some of the things that David has said here. Save me, O God, by your name. Strangers have risen up against me. Behold, God is my helper. He has delivered me out of all trouble. Can you picture Jesus saying that? With the same things that were happening to him? I think so. You know, I, I think uh, uh, you, you see some, you know, uh, uh, tidbits of that uh, through David's life of, of comparison of what uh, Christ himself uh, has went through. Uh, but once again, I think this, as these two stories unfold that we talked about last two weeks, you still see David's uh, overwhelming uh, trust in God to get him through it. Yeah, if, if we don't keep, I mean, it's one thing to start out good and start out right. It's, it's a whole other thing to keep growing in that process, the things that happen. It, it, it's a totally uh, different aspect of it. Uh, you know, we, we think about obeying, just obeying the gospel in general, but that's when it starts. You know, that's when our, our, our new life starts. That's when we, you know, we're a babe in Christ. We've got to learn to walk. Sometimes we go through the terrible twos. You know, in the hateful threes, and we just keep moving through the chain till till we grow up, and then we, you know, as we grow up in the faith, if we're trained right and we're taught right, and and we do everything we can to be what we should, then then we're the adults that we should be, and then the same thing with Christians, we become the Christians that we should be, and and that's what we see. You know, I like studying David. I really like studying Peter's life. You know, you look at just. I really like to study the ones who stumble and fall along the way. That gives me hope. <laughs> you know, it, it tells me that, you know, God's not looking for, for, for perfection. God's looking for commitment. And there, that's two different things, you know. Uh, he, he wants commitment through what's going on. He don't want us to, to give up. And he wants us to know we're there. And I think that's what he continued to do with David. Because we see, if you go back and read, you know, through about... Chapter 23 through 26, you see that in David's life, especially when, if David's praying this during that time, you see God 
really intervened and stopping Saul in that pursuit when they encamped around David and said the Philistines are invading the land so Saul stops his pursuit and goes back there. David's able to go up and get a better stronghold. So, you know, he kind of puts him in, in, in a little better position, you know. Um, so you see, we have the benefit of seeing God intervening in that. And David has the benefit of, of trusting in God. And David gives credit where credit's due that, hey, you answered my prayer. And David knew he answered his prayer. And, and he's very thankful for that. And he says that in, in different psalms. Any final thoughts? No, no. Exactly. Exactly. Steve? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that, actually. That's some good trivia. True, and David, and David, and that's a good point. David makes reference to what they're doing and what's causing them to do it more than who they are, uh, and that's why he referred to you know it's because they hadn't set God before them. He understands the spiritual battle part of it. I think I think you're right. And the helper part, if you go back and really you know research it, it is more of God saying, "I'm upholding you. You fight like you should, but don't worry about falling. I've got you. You know you're not going anywhere. You you keep fighting. I, I'm holding you up." Uh, uh, in that process.